Welcome to Stories After Midnight. We will be continuing our series of the Harmony Care Homes series. I say series twice? Anyway, the part we will be reading today is called I Visited a Care Home and I Found a Terrifying Room in the Sub-Basement. This is part four of six. I really hope you enjoy. Harmony Care Home was constructed in 1907, originally as an asylum, before being converted to a care home in the 1960s. By the late 70s, it was at the brink of closure after allegations of abuse made national headlines. The original director, Roderick Crane, had an obsessive interest in the occult. One of the advantages of running such an institution, he wrote in his notes, is that he could observe death in all its permutations. Sometimes he would perform rituals around the dying residents. Many of them participated voluntarily. There was a popular movement at the time related to witchcraft, Ouija boards, seances, and spiritualism. But rumors spread that he also had other, less voluntary investigations into the afterlife. There were even whispers of a secret room, accessible only by the elevator or through a hidden staircase in Roderick's office going down to a sub-basement where arcane rituals were reportedly held, and from which patients only emerged in body bags. Roderick's activities came to an end when a disastrous fire in 1981 killed many residents and staff. Roderick himself disappeared, along with funds that he embezzled, and the care home closed permanently. It has never been officially reopened. Emma threatens me literally every time we meet. We always start in the visitor lot of Harmony Care Home, where she warns me about exposing my past scams. I've taken a videoing her rants and showing her preemptively just so we can get on with things. It usually takes about an hour before she finally remembers me, and even then the shade of skepticism always lingers, the way the stench of death always lingers at Harmony Care. I can't believe I actually found all this stuff. We spend most of our time looking over our notes at a local coffee shop, and it's where we are when Emma squints at her handwriting and throws her hands up. Dang, what else have I forgotten? We hooked up. What? Kidding, I smile. Oh, she's so mad. Probably gonna punch my arm. Ow. How can I even trust working with a guy like you? Generally speaking, you really, really shouldn't. Yeah, so... Why are you even helping Grams if you only know her through scamming her? You ask that every time. And? I point her to her own notes, which read, Jack acts like a total jackhole, but you can trust him. He was a bad person, but now he is, in his own words, trying to be a less worse person. Also, you've agreed to not expose all his past scams if he helps you. And if he can help you get Grams out, you've also agreed to pay him $10,000. She squints. Isn't this last line in your handwriting? Yes, but only because I haven't been able to convince you to write it out yet. This arm sure is getting sore from all the times she smacks it. I lean forward. Okay, let's see what we got here. What have we got here? Man, what haven't we got? Property taxes, permits, city and county records, internet and utility records, insurance and vendor contracts, blueprints, Missing persons reports, checked against Harmony Care's own records and staff. We even visited the local historical society and library to read crumbling yellowing letters and manuscripts. That's actually how we found out about Roderick Crane. 
including an unpublished book he wrote about his activities. It's made for fascinating and disturbing reading. Per Roderick's account, most of his rituals were conducted with the aim of reaching the afterlife, or what he called the other side. He sought the usual sorts of things, power, eternal life, wealth. All of his rituals failed. My speculation is that Roderick went bigger. In the fire in 1981 that destroyed Harmony Care Home was not an accident, but arson. A final, grand attempt that at last successfully made contact with the other side. But, after escaping the fire, Roderick fled with his embezzled funds. There's no evidence he further dabbled in the occult or gained any benefit from it. He passed away on June 19, 2002. The place of his demise? Harmony Care Home. It would seem whatever he invited from that other side found him and made him a resident. Instead of gaining awesome power, he just became a meal for it. Emma has been contacting experts who might help us decipher the ritual. Incidentally, gotta admit, all of this research is Emma. When she asked me where I'd looked so far and I replied, Google? She told me I have the academic skills of a fifth grader, which I would have taken offense to if she hadn't immediately started gathering all this stuff. First time I've sincerely regretted my skipped education. Anyway, I'm sure Emma will rock the hell out of that masters in public policy she's going for. We're now drowning in data, and due to the amnesia, it takes us half a day just to know what we already know. The problem is, we still haven't figured out the exact nature of the ritual and whether we can reverse it. And we're running out of time. Just this morning, Emma got a text from her grandmother. Her eyes well up as she shows me. Darlene. Em, Mickles is telling me it's time soon. I love you. I messaged some friends of mine, Emma says, tapping her keys rapidly. Lucas and Aaron, they're big guys. They're going to come help get her out. What's your plan? I ask, fully aware she doesn't have one. She shakes her head. Walk in, sign her out, bite anyone who tries to stop us. That's not a... So come up with a better one, she bursts, and slamming the table. You're the plan guy. I gave you all this stuff. Gramps can't wait anymore, Jack. She said goodbye. Wiping her eyes, she says, Come up with a plan, or I will. So, I come up with a plan. Given that you already know where I'm writing from, room 313 at Harmony Care Home, I don't think I need to tell you it all goes to hell. For the record, I say for the umpteenth time as we wait in the parking lot, huddled against the autumn chill, I think this is a really, really bad idea. Isn't it your idea? Asks one of the big guys. Lucas and Aaron are both muscle-bound tanks, clearly have it bad for Emma, and are way too interested in impressing her to care about any warnings of mine. I might as well be a mosquito whining in their ears. I just have to hope my plan is as good as I promised Emma it is. She's just made the call, the one on which our entire plan hinges, sharing with police the record of Fitzroy's death, which she claimed was taken by her grandmother, a witness, and who also found the knife that was used to stab him. But because Grams is afraid of retaliation, she will only speak at the station. The cops are on their way currently to come collect her and the knife and bring her out of Harmony Care Home. And not a small contingent either, Emma 
has warned them that her grandmother is afraid of retaliation from Fitzroy's murderer, whom she believes is still at the care home. I'm genuinely curious how Lolita will react to an entire escort of authorities removing one of the residents. And the answer, at first, is cooperatively. When Emma and the rest of us enter with the officers, Lolita points them all up the stairs, as well as to the men's room where the alleged incident took place. From the behavior of both police and Emma's two friends, everyone sees a perfectly happy care home full of perfectly happy seniors. As Aaron and Lucas help Emma collect Darlene, I linger in the lobby, keeping an eye on Lolita. So far, she's just sitting at the desk, answering questions from the police. When they leave her to speak with other residents, she smiles at me, working at something under her desk. She pulls it up to show me. A stuffed toy parrot, thick yarn sewn over its eyes and around its beak. Cute, huh? What is it? I ask. She blinks. It's a parrot, but this one talks too much, so I closed its eyes. They do that to birds to tame them. Sometimes with hoods, but I didn't have a hood, she beams, adding. It's funny. Don't you think it kind of looks like you? Subtle, Lolita. Huh, I don't get it, I say, just because I'm not going to give her the satisfaction. Also, come on. No way I'd ever be a parrot. I'm a jackdaw, obviously. Way to miss the mark, Lolita Jeez. It's while I'm talking with Lolita that Aaron, or Lucas, comes trotting down the stairs, grabbing a wheelchair from an alcove and wheeling it down a hallway. I almost don't notice, because Lolita is prattling to me about how I'd offer you a room, but someone else already has a claim to you, Jack, and it would be rude for me to take you. Then I hear it. A faint, barely audible ding. The sound of elevator doors. Funny. I've never noticed an elevator before. Of course, there must be one given it's a care home and some patients are wheelchair bound. Not to mention that Emma and I read the history about how they'd use the elevator to bring residents down to the sub-basement where Roderick performed his rituals. Hell. Don't use the elevator! I spring to my feet, dashing down the hallway to where the janky doors are closing. Lolita's prattle was a distraction. I reach the doors just in time to shove my arm through and grasp at Emma's friend. Don't use the... A hand shoves me and I stumble in, collapsing into the wheelchair as Lucas or Aaron cries out. I jump to my feet as the doors are closing on us, snarling, no, 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 and jerking my fingers back as the steel nearly shuts on them. The last thing I glimpse through the closing doors is Lolita's wide blue eyes above a pearly-toothed grin. The elevator creaks and sways. I slam my palms against the doors as Emma's friend blinks at me in confusion. The elevator goes down. I feel so stupid falling for this. Do I have a weapon? No. Am I about to be trapped in the basement of this building to never leave and become the next Gerard? Sure as hell hope not. Crap. I hiss, my intestines winding into knots and every muscle taut as we go down, down, down. To hell, Jack. It's taking you to hell, whispers my terrified brain. Oh no, 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 no. The tingles, like ice chips, rolling down my spine like a million skittering centipedes. Whatever is down here is tripping my senses so, so bad. I spam the second floor button while Emma's friend says, Hey bro, chillax. The elevator shudders to a stop. 
As the doors jerk open, even Emma's buddy goes silent. The corridor beyond sits swathed in blackness, the kind of blackness so thick you can't breathe. A handful of dusty ceiling lights offer puddles of illumination that barely cut through the dark. At the very end of the hall stands a door, a wide door with strange sigils on its surface, a door that I will never, ever be going through down a darkened hallway that I have no intentions of ever setting foot in no matter how long I have to wait in this elevator. Because behind that door is the reason for the hairs on my entire body standing on end, the skyrocketing of my thrumming heart, and every cell screaming no, 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 no. The elevator belatedly dings as if to say, your floor, sirs. Nope, nah, -uh. no freaking way. Relax, dude. Someone probably called it down here and then took the stairs. Says the guy I decide is named Lucas. He claps a hand on my shoulder and pushes the second floor button. We'll just go back up. Nothing happens, of course. The elevator does not budge. Huh. He looks around. I think it's stuck. There's a small, hysterical part of me that wants to scream. Oh, do you? Do you think it's stuck? But I keep that part hushed as I raise my eyes to the ceiling. What are the odds we can just bust the panels open and climb back up? Judging by how long it took to descend, that'd be a long climb. And I'm not confident we'd be able to pry the doors open on an upper floor if this place doesn't want us. The cops could probably force them open if they knew we were in here, but I try to message Emma. The Wi-Fi doesn't work down here. Show Lucas my phone. He frowns and checks his own phone, but it's no better. Shouldn't there be a stairwell somewhere? He wonders. Uh, yeah, I say reluctantly, recalling the blueprints in my mind. There's uh, a hidden stairwell up to the basement if we go through the door there. But it's at the end of that pitch black corridor, through Roderick's ritual room. I eyeball Lucas and say, Ten bucks one of us gets sacrificed. Come on then. Lucas steps into the corridor. When I don't immediately follow, he taunts. Need me to hold your hand? Oh, would you? That'd be great. I actually go for it. He pulls his hand back. Bro, don't offer if you don't mean it. Much as I'd definitely rather wait in the elevator, Emma would kill me if I did. So mutually assured doom it is. R.I.P. Jack. I flick through my notes for anything that might tell me that we might meet in there, even though I know there's nothing on Roderick's manuscript. I skim my early notes from the first couple days when I barely knew anything and freeze, heart stomping. Jack, whatever you do, don't use the elevator. There's something in the sub-basement. Lolita calls him the custodian, says he doesn't like the light as he only works the night shift. If you do wind up in the elevator, do not leave. I swivel my head to peer back. Behind us, the elevator remains open, the pitiful overhead lights showing the path back to safety. Lucas shines his phone light on the door and reads, Custodian's Closet. No! I lunge and catch his wrist. Don't open it! Ding. We both turn at the same moment as the elevator doors close, and it departs with a janky clang. No! Lucas tells me to take a chill pill, and yanks his wrist free and knocks on the door, while I'm mourning our imminent deaths. The door says Custodian's Closet, in Lucas's eyes, but that's not what I see. What I see is a series of strange symbols that swim before my watery gaze. 
and now that horrific sensation returns, like insects marching all along my skin, buzzing from the base of my skull and causing every hair to stand upright, as if I've been electrocuted. I barely hear Lucas's sigh, as he says he might as well try the elevator again since it's working now, and then we both hear it, the creaking as the elevator once again comes down, the lights of the hallway overhead flickering, the soft ding as the doors slide open. Click. The light, closest to the elevator, flickers out, plunging the end of the corridor in blackness, but just for an instant, before it is extinguished, a glimpse of figure emerging from the doors, something too tall to be human, elongated and stretched like taffy as it emerges, and the buzzing in my mind gets louder. The hell, whispers Lucas, flickering, then again. Click. The second light is gone. We cannot see any figure at all now, but there's only one light remaining between us and the pitch dark that extends seemingly forever. Whatever that thing is, it's not like Gerard or any of the corpses. It is not even remotely human. There's nowhere to flee but into the custodian's closet. I ram the door open, dragging Lucas with me, barking, hurry, as we squeeze through, and the last light in the hall flickers out behind us, plunging the corridor in perfect pitch. I slam the door, leaning my back against it, and we aim our lights around the ritual room. Lucas inhales sharply. There are no illusions here. He sees what I see, symbols carved into the ceilings and walls, inscribed with a script that seems to be forever flickering and changing under our beams. It's no familiar language, and something about those squiggles is obscene, burning into our eyes and yet impossible to look away from. There's also the smell, a stink of old blood and musty death. His shoes scuff the concrete floor as he shuffles onto a matted and stained rug, muttering, what the hell? In the center of the room sits a marble table. Skulls and remains from all manner of humans and animals decorate the shelves, some knitted into strange figures hanging from the ceiling. And if it weren't clear enough what all this is for, a thin volume inscribed with notes and symbols sits open on the table describing a ritual. The hell kind of place is this? Lucas whispers, picking up a skull. Gotta get something... Get something to barricade the door. I'm still holding it shut. Lucas obliges, grabbing a bookcase and hauling it over with impressive ease. But even as he blockades the door, the hairs on my neck stand on end again. Run, shrieks my lizard brain. I whirl and my beam catches on. Something. Something like I've never seen. Like shadow, like hollowed skin, stretched, indescribable. I don't know why I thought it looked like a figure. It's more like those squiggles on the walls. An impossible shape, impossible for the eye to really see. I can't tell you what it looked like, only that it made my mind scream, and the hole where its face should be swallowed me into nightmares. When I regain consciousness, I can't see, and my thoughts are sticky and swirling together, and I smell blood. Underneath me is a padded, creaky chair, a wheelchair. I realize groggily as I try to move. My whole face is numb. I don't know why it's numb. Everything is completely black. I fumble, trying to catch my bearings. Am I still in the sub-basement? Try to feel my way around, only to stub my knee against a table leg. I swear, or would if I could speak, but for some reason all that comes out are inarticulate nasal sounds. 
There's no noise beyond my own labored, panicky breathing. Lucas? I don't hear him. My nasal grunts don't get any response. The fact I can't feel my face is disconcerting when I touch my cheeks, my nose. Is my whole body numb? I'm definitely unsteady, like I've been drugged. I fumble along the table's edge, following the peeling wood. Curving edge, round table, so I'm not in that room anymore. The table in the ritual room was square. My shoes scuff across cheap carpet. The common room? And then my fingers brush against a hand. A hand? A hand, yes, but cold, withered like an old, dead hand. I jerk back, then shakily reach forward again. The withered hand. Knit fabric of a sleeve, loose around the thin forearm. A sweater. I trace the arm up the bony frame, wisps of hair on a cold skull. I'm feeling a dead body. A long dead body. Still clothed. Mummified. Where? Why is it so dark? Is it nighttime? Pitch blackout? Is there not even moonlight? Are the curtains drawn? I follow the circumference of the table. Find another body. Light. Flimsy shawl over a linen shirt. A skeleton shrink-wrapped in dried skin. This is really gross. I move further along and find another table, low and square. An end table this time. In an old plush chair that, when I push on the cushion, sends a puff of mildew-scented air. Okay. Definitely the common room. Where the hell is everybody? What time is it? Trying to shout does no good. My mouth still isn't working. I stumble through the dark, hoping for a wall so I can orient myself. When I bump into a large potted plant, I cuss inwardly, rubbing my knee. The plant is fake and the leaves stiff, dusty fabric. Filthy. I picture the care home. Were the potted plants by the entrance or on the opposite wall? Hey! Emma's voice calls out, along with the creak of a door swinging, then rapid footsteps. She grabs my arm. What are you doing? Where's Lucas? I try to respond, but can't. I can't see Emma. It's only now I'm starting to panic, wondering what has happened to my eyes, my face. My numb face that can't make words. I should have figured it out by now, but my brain is sludge, and I'm trying to tell Emma about the custodian, but I can't. Jack, I don't have time for your games. Would you quit goofing off? The cops didn't find anything. They'll take Graham's statement after she's seen at the hospital. Look, find Lucas. I'm going to drive Graham's. No, don't go, I grunt as her footsteps walk away and try to follow, but my legs won't cooperate, and I trip and stumble to my knees. After the doors close, it's quiet again. Dead quiet. No chatter from the common room. Without my eyes working, the illusion isn't manifesting. Or maybe it's because of whatever's being done to me. In any case, there's only mummified dead at those tables. And that's all that's ever been there. Every time. I just didn't know it until now. I kneel on the ground, weeping because I'm so frustrated and scared. I can't find my way. And I don't know what's happening, or where Lucas is, or if Emma was real. Did she leave me here? I crawl towards the doors hoping I haven't got myself turned around. But even if I make my way out, how will I leave? I have my keys, but I can't drive. Not without my sight. I can't speak. How will I communicate what's happening? The whoosh of the doors. Emma's footsteps again and she exclaims, Jack, what's going on? Where the hell is Lucas and why are you acting like this? 
and suddenly it strikes me. She's seeing an illusion. She's seeing the chicken soup dust jacket version of me, just as she is in the rest of this place. She can't see that it's dark in here, that there are only corpses on the tables in the common room, and she responds to someone I can't hear. Oh, it's alright, thanks. No, he doesn't want a room. I'll take him home. Did Lolita just offer to get me a room? Screw you, Lolita. I flip off the general direction of where I think Lolita's desk is, and Emma tells me to stop it and drags me out the doors and says, in a tone that suggests she has figured out something is wrong, what they do to you? Where's Lucas? Jack, can you talk? Talk to me. But I can't respond. I can't see where we're going and stumble off the curb and slam into the hood of a car. Ouch. Emma, don't ever be a guide for the blind. You suck at it. The impact rings my skull. I'm still groaning and clutching at my face as Emma gasps and helps me up. I hear her say to somebody, They did something to him. I don't know what. Let's get him to the hospital too. Help me get him in the car. Then I'm hauled into the back of what must be Emma's car. And next to me I hear distressed mumbling that has got to be Darlene. And I definitely smell her. Ah, I don't think she's showered since they first brought her in. Or maybe it's her dead cat Mickles. I smell. It sounds like she's still stroking that tiny, rotting body. Do I have to sit here? Kind of prefer the mummified old ladies at the table. I'm kidding. Don't kick me out. Jack, Jack. A hand patting my cheek and Emma says, Hey, we're going to take you to the hospital and we'll figure out what they gave you. I'm just going to run in and find Lucas. I seize her wrist. No, no. Do not look for Lucas. Do not. Shake my head vehemently. Jack, I have to find him. Mm. I shake my head hard. Why aren't you talking? What's wrong with you? But I know what's wrong with me now. And I put her hands on my face so she can feel the stitches holding shut my lips, my eyes. And a moment later, I know the illusion is broken because Emma is screaming and screaming and screaming. And I would be too if my mouth weren't sewn tightly shut. That's it for this story. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, consider liking the video and sticking around for more. I really appreciate the support that you guys have been giving me on the videos recently. It really means a lot. It really helps me out and helps the channel grow. Uh, if you'd like to, you can send me your own stories at storiesaftermidnight.com. Or if you'd like, uh, you can come join the Discord and hang out. We have a little community growing in there and it's really nice. It's a nice place. And before we cap this off, a huge shout out to my patrons for helping make this video possible. Really, really appreciate you. With all that said, I'll see you in the next video.